All right. Well, good morning. Hey, good morning. All right, that's great. Much better. Bless you. Glad that we're uh, having the privilege to be in God's presence, to worship together, to fellowship together. If you're new here this morning, um, my name is Dennis, and I want to also add my welcome to you. We're in a series this fall in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, which is how everybody normally calls it, but we're calling it the Sermon on the Hill. This is Jesus's uh, initial teaching at the beginning of his ministry, one entire sermon uh, together. And uh, during this series, uh, we're encouraging everybody to dig into the text and um, to let God direct you to make I will statements. Uh, I will statements are uh, outcomes of hearing God's word and it hits you by the spirit. No arm twisting, no manipulation but you decide that what God wants you to do. And normally he speaks pretty precisely to us. And uh, I encourage you to, to put the text into practice by writing down in your journal, in your study journal, the, the, the application beginning with the words, I will. I will. And um, that's uh, going to give you some breaks in the message today, minute here, minute there, just to ponder that. And to think about what you've been doing over the last week and what God might be wanting to do over the next week. And uh, the, the sermon of Jesus is uh, coming to us with a very clear message. And it is the message of the kingdom. That God has unveiled his kingdom in Christ Jesus. And his core message is this. The time has finally arrived... The kingdom is now accessible to everyone through me. Think differently. Come and follow me and review your game plan for your life and uh, build your entire life on me. That's what he's saying. It's a very personal message. Uh, It's very different Then Moses giving the Ten Commandments on the top of the mountain. Jesus is speaking on the hillside in the midst of all the people. It's it's, it's very significant, very personal. Imagine that first time, that, that time this message actually occurred. And put yourself on the hillside in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Just a few hundred feet, not a big mountain, just a hillside. Imagine you are there with Jesus. And all around are people that he's been touching. He's been going through the villages of Galilee and he's been healing people uh, who are demon uh, harassed. He's been healing people who have seizures, uh, who are lame, who are deaf, who are blind. And they are all there and they've all been touched by the grace of the kingdom. This is the kingdom of the heavens coming to the earth, coming to touch the people. Now, why is Jesus speaking this message? What are his purposes? Well, as I've already said, right? He's unveiling the kingdom. He's trying to tell us what the kingdom is like. The kingdom is coming in grace to people that look like losers and it is changing them dramatically. 
It has no regard for age, sex, wherever you are spiritually. The kingdom bursts in as Jesus speaks and teaches and touches and transforms. But at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the end of the Sermon on the Hill, I want to show you the very end. And we're going to study that in due course. But this will tell you what Jesus is after. He's after, he was after in that day, and he is after today, the obedience of everyone who hears him, who sees who he is, who understands what he's saying, that they would put it into practice. And he says this in the last few verses of the sermon. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock of Jesus and his teaching. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus is saying, if you listen and hear and put my words into practice, you are wise. If you do not, you are foolish. And of course, I think it's uh, clear to be said that the reward for the wise and the consequence for the foolish are disastrous any way you look at it, now and in eternity. And so Jesus uh, is looking for our obedience. And that's why I'm focusing this series on I will statements. How do we put into practice what Jesus is saying? Now, last week we looked at the first four Beatitudes. And uh, we talked about uh, that this was a show and tell by Jesus of people he had touched up on the hill, that people who are poor in spirit, and we said those are Not people who know their need for God. Those are just spiritual zeros, plain out. Spiritual zeros, poor in spirit. Mourners, people whose lives are wrecked. Uh, Meek, people who are being run over and uh, who are not fighting back, but who are uh, meek in nature. And then uh, the ones that are hungering and thirsting for justice. And uh, this is... Broken lives transformed by the touch of Jesus in their life. And here's some examples. Poor in spirit, spiritual zero, Zacchaeus, the hated tax collector, the number one hated man in Jericho. Jesus walks through and invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. Instantly, Zacchaeus goes from nobody, the worst of the worst, the scum of the scum, to the host of Jesus the amazing guy that these zillions of people are following. And we see in that house, that very day, Zacchaeus promises to repay those who he has stolen from up to four times. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. The spiritual zero is given eternal life. The mourners, there's tons of mourners that Jesus runs into, but Jairus in Luke 8, he's a synagogue ruler. And he's got a daughter who's 12 years old who's dying, and in fact, by the time Jesus gets to his house, she's dead. And they're mourning and wailing going on all around this house. And Jesus walks in and raises her from the dead and just simply tells Jairus, the synagogue ruler, to trust me. Trust me. And salvation comes there. The meek, 
The meek are the run over, the sat upon, the, the, the marginalized, the disregarded. And uh, a great example is the Canaanite woman uh, in Matthew 15 from Sidon and Tyre. She's a Gentile. She's not a Jew. She's begging Jesus to heal her daughter who's demon-possessed. And Jesus says to her, I'm sorry, but I can't waste my crumbs on the dogs. He calls her a dog. And instead of getting all offended, she says to him, but Lord, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the master's table. She doesn't get offended. She's meek and she comes straight for Jesus and says, yes, I know, but even I can have the kingdom. And she knew it and she got it. And hungering and thirst for righteousness or justice, the desperate father in Mark chapter 9 whose son has been tormented by an evil spirit since he was young, thrown into fires, tried to drown him, uh, foaming at the mouth, rigid body, everything, seizures. And he, he, he says, if you can. And Jesus said, what do you mean, if I can? And he goes, Jesus, help me with my unbelief. Help me with my lack of faith. And his hungering and thirsting for the healing of his son, for the setting right of his son, is brought to him. So the kingdom comes and the, the Beatitudes picture this huge transformation that happens by grace where God just touches people out of nowhere. And this may have happened to you. You get a job you never thought you would have. You meet some, a spouse you never thought you'd meet. You know, whatever it might be. But these are little touches of the kingdom. And this is the highest form of blessedness where you receive the kingdom, you're comforted, you're inheriting the whole earth, and you're filled and you're satisfied. And so at this point last week, I paused and I said, what do you think God is speaking to you today about these first four Beatitudes? And hopefully many of you made I will statements. Some of you shared them last week. I'm going to give you a minute now just to speak with the person you're with. Uh, and if you're by yourself, then uh, you can just meditate on this or you can maybe talk to a neighbor. But share uh, what your I will statement was last week and, and how God led you to do something different. I'll give you a minute to do that. Just real brief.
Does anybody want to share anything that happened over the past week? I'm going to give you plenty of opportunities from now till Christmas. <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to stay on this. I, I, I'm going to say one thing. Um, last week I, I, I told you that one of my I will statements was uh, to proclaim the kingdom of God in, in, a, in a more, uh, just in a more uh, joyful and exciting way than maybe I have been doing it uh, up till now. And I uh, had an opportunity to speak with some college students last week. And God gave me something, uh, I believe, about the kingdom and what that was like. And I was so encouraged. A young man came up after uh, the meeting. And uh, he was very shy. He's a really shy guy. And he said, you know what? I, I didn't really understand about the kingdom until tonight. And I want to live my life for the kingdom of God. How do I do that? How do I do that? And I just, uh, I just want to encourage you because God put him there. We prayed. We asked for the filling of the Spirit. And I gave him a number of different ways to look for the kingdom this week. And um, he will get good, good, uh, good community and good follow-up on that from within the, the crusade group over there, you see. But uh, when you preach the kingdom, when you pronounce the kingdom, stuff happens. For the very reason during Rob's announcements where, you know, people have got the weight of the world. People have got uh, weightiness. And to find out that there's a kingdom coming that is absolutely full of grace and power, that is eternal, that is going to change everything and set everything right is, is, is a breath of fresh air in a hungry soul. And I encourage each one of us to be messengers of the kingdom. Messengers of the kingdom wherever we are. So we're going to dive into the, the, the second part uh, of this. And um, let me just uh, read, uh, read the text. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, bring the word into our lives fully in Jesus' name. Amen. So who are the merciful? Any ideas of who the merciful might be? Parents. Parents. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Think about it. Our children are totally dependent on us and, and, and are in our care. Think about that. Uh, and think about the times that we don't seek retribution, but we, we seek God to meet our needs. Uh, anybody else? People who forgive. This morning the neighbor love story was, uh, at 9 o'clock, was uh, 
a, family, a, man, a man and wife been married 62 years. She left him because he was abusive. And uh, one of our people got to pray with him. And they were out of relationship with their seven children. Imagine that. Married 62 years. She leaves him. And uh, one of our folks prayed for him, brought the good news, and awakened something that had been in faith, in part of his faith life years ago. And he repented and his wife forgave him. And they're back together and they're opening up relationship with their children that they're estranged from. And she was merciful. She forgave him. She forgave him. That family has a chance because she was willing to be merciful. What about the the generous people? What about the people that are uh, in the justice system uh, representing, you know, delinquent juveniles? That's a touch of mercy. There's so much mercy available around, even among the world and non-believers, that we see that Jesus is is touching those who have had that, that difficulty and those, those challenges of constantly forgiving. How about the pure in heart? Who would that be? Children. children? Okay. Does Jesus bring the kingdom to children? Sure does. How about the naive, uh, the innocent, those without guile? I think he does that. How about the perfectionists who are constantly examining themselves and ashamed about every little detail in their life that isn't right? Whether they know God or not, they're just constantly fretting that, you know, they're not good enough. Um, And they're very aware of some of the things going on in there. But even to those people, the kingdom of God can come. And I'll give you an example in a minute. Who are the peacemakers? Who are the peace? Law enforcement. Great, great example. I got a chance to ride around with Lewis Arnold, and they have a ride-along program, and I work with him in, on the beat for a whole day before he was doing his current job. And we went into house after house after house where the issue was domestic abuse, domestic uh, yelling and screaming or violence or whatever it was. And uh, Lewis just, these are terrible situations because they're usually confined apartment buildings way back, you know, far away from where the cruiser can be parked. And uh, there's yelling and screaming going on. You have no idea what you're going to meet in there. And Lewis walks in and I was behind him, uh, right behind him. (laughs) He he had a vest. They didn't issue me a vest. but you never know who's going to pull a gun and just, you know, have at it. And Lewis walks in and takes authority over the situation. Sir, what is the problem today? Ma'am, what's your side of the story? You be quiet. And, you know, literally, that's what he's doing. He's trying to bring peace. And half the time, they are reviled and uh, disrespected. And it's just terrible. Um, so the, the peacemakers, social workers. Uh, I, I think even to Jesus might be referring to the zealots he's talking to who might want to uh, get some knives and swords out and get Rome out of Israel. These guys who, who thought this was the way to get this thing done was to have war and to fight. 
even those guys. And then all around Jesus on the law enforcement theme is, is Roman soldiers everywhere. And we know from the scriptures that many of those were touched by the kingdom of God, even though they were reviled by the Jewish people. So uh, how about the persecuted? That might be a little easier. Who are the persecuted? Everybody who stands up for their faith. Yep. Who else is persecuted in, in our day and age, in our, in our uh, culture right now? Minorities. Minorities, yep. The poor. The poor. Those Jews Lower class. Class separation, the, the untouchables in India and uh, those that are under, underdogs and unwanted. There's many of the, many of them are being persecuted. Yep. How about in corporate America, the truth tellers and the whistleblowers? They get a little persecution. So we can see as Jesus is speaking that the kingdom is coming even into these people who've got all kinds, you know, and and some of these character traits are good and some of them are not good. And Jesus is coming and touching them all. So in the Beatitudes 5 to 8, we've got, uh, I just want to give you some quick examples. Uh, Merciful. Women who are financing Jesus' ministry out of their own funds, their, their household budgets. Some of them were uh, healed from diseases uh, by Jesus. Uh, some of them were part of Herod's household. And Herod's money was going in to finance Jesus' ministry. Pure in heart, Jesus calls Nathanael in John chapter 1, says, this is a true Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel is, is, is one of these pure in heart guys. But, but even Nathaniel uh, has some things in there that are not 100% changed by the gospel yet, where he says, does anything good come out of Nazareth? So, but the pure in heart, uh, the, the naive, the, 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 the young, the young uh, idealists are called, the peacemakers, the soldier who helped build the synagogue over there, whose, uh, whose child uh, servant, I should say, is dying in, in Matthew 8. Uh, he's a peacemaker and um, not a favorite fan of all the Jews who live in that community. But this one, they, is, this one is touched by Jesus. And then the persecuted, I, I think one of the beautiful pictures of persecution in the kingdom coming is the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. The Samaritans were despised. She had been divorced five times. She was living with a man that wasn't her husband. She was so persecuted and so sick of being a second-class citizen, she wouldn't even go to the well until noon when it would be too hot and nobody would be there so she could get her water. And Jesus touches her and heals her. So the kingdom comes and the, the benefits of the Beatitudes are that people are given this incredible life blessed by grace they're shown mercy. They, they are seeing God. They're, they're being called the children of God. See, the promises are deepening and they're receiving the kingdom. And there, there's a bit of a, a, a sense of progression here where, where Jesus is saying, I can touch anybody, anywhere. No matter what you think of them, good or bad, I can move in and touch them. And that's what he's saying, that the kingdom is coming and the grace of God is available to us 
now, all of us. And when the kingdom comes, it results in Jesus issuing an invitation. And this part of the Beatitudes comes to a close and it seems to come to an invitation to follow him because he says this, after the eighth beatitude, he kind of focuses on the eighth and he, he expands on it. He says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Jesus is saying, look, I'm inviting you, but there's going to be a cost. You are going to be persecuted because you you think I'm the Messiah. Your friends are going to think you've fallen off the rocker that you follow this Jesus guy. That you actually believe he's the creator and, and this, this didn't happen in a giant cosmic soup accident, but that he actually made the world. You're an idiot. How can you think that? Everybody knows that's not true. And then he says, look, be happy about it. Be very glad. He uses a word there that is, in Greek, is agalino. It's, it's giddiness jumping for joy. This happens a few different places in the Gospels where Jesus touches people. And these healed people start jumping up, you know, click their heels. Way hey, I can walk. Agalino. And it even happens to Jesus once in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, when they all come back from the 72. And he's full of joy in the Holy Spirit. He's literally jumping for joy. Why? Because a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. In other words, I'm going to tell you now, come follow me. You're going to have costs. You're going to be persecuted. It's going to cost you. But also you're going to have eternal rewards. You're going to be blessed uh, in heaven. And, and it's going to be beyond. And you should be really ecstatic about that. Be ecstatic that your names are written in heaven because you've trusted me. Now, there's obstacles to kingdom grace. This, this idea of kingdom grace, we are born legalists. We love to somehow think that we, we have merit in being saved. We had merit that the kingdom came to us. But Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes here, no, no, th- this is not merit-based. This is my kingdom coming as I wish and you have nothing to do about it. All you can do is believe and receive. And there are obstacles to that. Grace makes us feel makes us feel like we want to earn something. We somehow deserve it. We somehow should 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 have that when in fact it's completely unmerited favor. And there are so many stories in the gospel that I could give you 20, but what are some of the obstacles to receiving God's grace? Well, one is that, that, that you're familiar and you're complacent. Oh yeah, I know about Jesus. I, I, I'm familiar with him. And, and when he challenges you, you know, you always have the opportunity to get offended. When you read part of the Bible you've never read before and you hear a teaching that is hard. We've had some of those in this congregation and people leave. They get offended. Well, in Nazareth, Jesus said, hey, Isaiah 61, 
the whole thing coming down of the poor hearing the good news and all that, this has happened, has been fulfilled in your hearing today. That's me. And they all say, well, that's very, isn't that very nice, Jesus? He's the carpenter's son. What a nice. And then he says, uh, I don't think you guys get it. So, you know, like, remember when Elijah was here? He didn't, he didn't heal anybody except the widow's son who was a foreigner. And remember when Elisha was here? He didn't heal anybody except the foreign general. Because you guys didn't get it, and you still don't get it. And instead of repenting, what do they do? They get all mad. They take him to the brow of the hill where there's a cliff, and they want to throw him over and kill him. The people of his hometown. They were familiar and complacent, and they missed the grace of God. The doubt that we have in Jesus' methods. What do you mean? Like, Jesus wouldn't send anybody to hell, would he? Of course he would. He said it several times, several dozen times. John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the world. He was in prison. He was wondering why Jesus hadn't destroyed the Roman army yet. So he sent his guys to, to ask Jesus, Hey, are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? He had begun to doubt Jesus' methods and Jesus' approach. And Jesus says to him, No, bro, it's okay. I'm preaching the gospel to the poor. The lame are walking. The deaf are hearing. The blind are seeing. And the people are being raised from the dead. Uh, But let me tell you one more thing. Blessed is you who will not get offended at me. Don't get offended by by my approach. Don't have doubts because somehow Jesus doesn't fit into your box that you have for him. Let him be Jesus. Pride and superiority. Luke chapter 7. The sinful woman comes to the house of the Pharisee who invited Jesus for dinner, anoints his feet with oil, crying on him, wiping it with her hair. This is Mary. This is Mary, Lazarus' sister. And there's offense everywhere. And the, and the Pharisee says, if he, only, if, if he only knew how sinful this woman was who was touching him, he, he can't be a prophet And Jesus sees right through. And what does he see right through? He sees right through pride and superiority. You know, there's there's days when people come into our congregation. And I'm so proud of you guys who maybe haven't had a shower in a few days. Or maybe haven't uh, got full possession of their faculties. But you welcome them. And I'm really glad of that. Because we're all desperately in need of God's grace no matter who we are and we need to welcome the mourners and the poor in spirit and the 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 meek and the peacemakers and the the all the people that Jesus wants to touch we need to welcome them unwilling to leave comfort mark 10 the rich young ruler Jesus loves him He's obeying the commands, except he's got a lot of money and he doesn't want to part with it, doesn't want to leave his life of comfort. Jesus says, sell everything and give to the poor and then come follow me. And he walks away sad. He missed the grace of God because he didn't want to leave his comfort zone. And then those bound by traditions, the Pharisees, Matthew 23, they want to wash their hands and do all their stuff and they tie the tenth of their spices, but they miss the bigger things because they're bound in tradition. 
Church should be a certain way. People should dress a certain way. The music should be a certain way. And if not, I get offended. I'm bound in my traditions. And I miss the grace of God. Last, uh, this past weekend at Chicago at the Disciple Making uh, Movement Conference, an illustration was used that really grabbed me. And it was the illustration of the inoculation. And when uh, we receive an inoculation, a vaccine, uh, what is actually being done is a, a weak or dead version of the disease is being injected into our body so we can become immune to that disease. And it ties into this idea of missing God's grace because sometimes... We are injected with a weak and dead version of Christianity. We are injected with a dead and weak version of Christianity that doesn't want to admit God's power, doesn't want to see God's glory, doesn't want to be disrupted by God's presence, that want everything in order, and they actually are immune to the grace of God. If you think you may be, have, in, have been inoculated with a weak and dead form of the Christian faith. I'm so glad you're here. And today, when we have communion, I want you to ask God for mercy to inject you with the real thing. Inject you with the real thing. The real thing is what we're reading right now. The Beatitudes. The immense grace of God. The welcoming of all the broken. Uh, Look, I, I said last week that I could write a Beatitude. You know, blessed are the fat Self-centered, pagan, adulterous, corporate power mongers. Because even God can touch Dennis Beausejour. And I want you to hear that loud and clear. Even, Even the worst of the worst, God can touch. If you're looking at a friend or a family member who says that, 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 she's beyond reaching. She's beyond reaching. Well, the good news is she's not. We have one right now, a a sister of one of our regulars who's in a coma in Hamilton, knows a bit about God. We don't know, but she's probably never going to wake up again from an overdose. We need to just know and trust right now that even now, as she's on a respirator, that Jesus can reach in and grab her life. And I pray right now that he does that in his mighty name. Amen. So, let's turn to you. Let's do an I will statement for this week. Take a minute and just talk about uh, what, what you've heard this morning, what you see in the text. What, what is God prompting you to say Jesus, I will, as a result of this message from you. Take a minute.
If anybody would like to share, I'll call on you in a minute. Just put your hand up. Anybody want to share? Yeah. I will give up some of my comforts. Excellent. And and it'd be good to specify one or two and let someone know. Yeah. I will choose not to take offense when people say or act in a way that feels hurtful. I'll choose not to take offense when people act in a hurtful way. Yep. I'll rejoice when I'm persecuted for my trust in Christ. Yeah. Last week it was, I will obey regardless of outcome. During the week, I was cut and convicted that I will practice hospitality without grumbling. (laughs) However, typically, it's not the people that I grumble over. My wife and I are irritated over our mistakes. We obeyed it and really enjoyed it. Oh, excellent. Enjoying practicing hospitality uh, even, uh, even after grumbling. Praise the Lord. All right. Praise the Lord. Grace abounds. So what is this? this the, all of this is a huge jubilee of reversals. The whole sermon uh, begins with these beatitudes that are these reversals where the kingdom comes and, and it literally is the jubilee. It's like that 50th year every year in Leviticus 25 when the land barriers, the land borders would go back to where they were. The debts would be eliminated. Everything would be reset. And it would be this liberating come back to, uh, come back to equilibrium thing. And this is what's happening in Jesus' gospel. He's bringing in shalom. And he's setting the jubilee down. And he's resetting lives. And it's just like he said in Isaiah 61. If you look at when he went into the synagogue in Nazareth, he read this text, uh, at least the first half of it. And good news to the poor, binding up the brokenhearted, liberty to the captives, opening of the prison, year of the Lord's favor. That's the jubilee. Comfort in the morning, beautiful headdress instead of ashes, gladness instead of mourning, praise instead of a faint spirit. Isaiah prophesied the Beatitudes 750 years before Jesus spoke them. He brought them into modern, concise version. But he's speaking, this is his mission. This is his ministry. This is what he's doing. And he's saying, it's going to, the upside down world is going to be put right side up. And there will be great reversals. In Matthew 19.30 he says, uh, the first will be last. And the last will be first. And this is the reversal of, the, of the, the gospel of the kingdom of where the proud are opposed and the humble are brought into favor. The first will be last and the last will be first. We're going to be surprised, guys. It's going to be awesome. And we need to be on the right side of that. 
Now, this is how Dallas Willard talks about this community now. So we are the ones that are now sitting on the hill with Jesus. We are the ones who've been touched in various ways. Some of you are here today. You're not following Jesus yet, but something's touched you. Something's touched you and you're, you're here for more. Maybe there's, you're going to come for prayer this morning and you're going to be healed. Maybe you're going to come for prayer this morning, receive communion, and start a journey with Jesus by faith because you want, you are hungering for the kingdom. Well, this is your day. But here's how Dallas Willard writes it. Blessed, blessed, blessed. The highest form of blessing. The number one kind of life. These are God's grubby people. Any spiritually healthy congregation of believers in Jesus will more or less look like brands plucked from the burning. If the group is totally nice, that is a sure sign something has gone wrong. For here are the foolish, the weak, the lowly, and the despised of this world, whom God has chosen to cancel the humanly great. Among them are a few of the humanly wise, the influential, and the socially elite. They belong here too. God's not afraid of them. He's saving them all. Rich, poor, smart, and whatever. You may discern a peculiar nobility on them. It is not of them. It is the effulgence of the kingdom among them. The effulgence is the bright shining light. And we started this series looking at a light has dawned, right? In Naphtali and Zebulun. Well, the bright light is dawning in our hearts, in this congregation, in this city. And he is looking for those who will follow him with all their heart. And there's grace for the blessed who will live in the great light and they will shine for him. And that will be the topic that Jesus turns to next week. Shining for him. So we're going to have the worship team come up and we're going to have communion. And I want to close our time together with some time for you to meditate on your I will statements. To meditate on the grace of God that brought you here to meditate on the, the ways that he has touched your life. We're going to have prayer people here who will be available to pray with you during communion. If there's something you need from God, then go for prayer. Receive this amazing grace. So Father, as we close this time, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for the incredible beauty and power of the Beatitudes. We thank you for the, the, the love of Jesus shining through into our hearts through these words. Lord, help us now receive from you, deal with you, fellowship with you, commune with you as we remember your body and blood broken and shed for us on the cross so that our sin could be forgiven, fully paid for, fully satisfying your perfect standard and allowing us into relationship with you. We are truly blessed. Blessed are those who come to the communion table with humble hearts. Touch your people now, Lord. Receive our praise and our worship. In Jesus' name.